for the Art of Performance, presenting Magos Herrera on Saturday, March 9 at 8 p.m. at UCLA Nimoy Theater. A Latin American jazz vocalist, Herrera sings in Spanish, English and Portuguese, blending contemporary jazz with Mexican folk staples and Latin American melodies and rhythms. For more information and tickets at CAP. Dot .ucla.edu and KPFK Pra cantar, pra samba, pra valer, pra morrer. You're listening to Pacifica Radio's KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 93.7 San Diego County, and globally at kpfk.org. KPFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. More court action against Israel. Sheriff Deputy Violence Impacts Compton. LA City Fights Police Investigation. Remembering Japanese internment camps in World War II. Former Holocaust survivor compares code policies to Nazi ideology. Artist IYY speaks out against Western censorship. Jeffrey Sachs on Biden's failed foreign policy. Will Biden give an interview to Russian journalists? And news from outside the NATO bubble. All this and more coming up. Good evening, I'm Hunter Green. Representatives for Palestine have called for an end to the occupation of Palestinian territories and the system of apartheid enforced by Israel at the International Court of Justice at a week-long hearing that began in The Hague today. The case, which is separate from the genocide case by South Africa against Israel, intends to determine the legal status of Israel's decades-long occupation of the Palestinian territories. In December 2022, the UN General Assembly passed a resolution calling on the International Court of Justice to give an advisory on Israel's 57-year illegal occupation of Palestinian territories. At the hearing today, Palestine's representatives said Israel must bear the consequences of actions that violated international law instead of being rewarded. He described how international law and the enforcing bodies have failed to protect over 12,000 dead Palestinian children. Quote, we call on you to confirm the Israeli presence in the occupied Palestinian territory is illegal and that its occupation must come to an immediate, complete, and unconditional end, he said. Over 29,000 Palestinians have been killed and about 70,000 wounded in Israeli strikes on the Gaza Strip since October 7th. This past weekend, footage verified by Al Jazeera shows hundreds of Palestinians in Gaza City rushing towards aid trucks with food supplies when Israeli forces open fire on them. At the moment, 1.4 million refugees are crammed into the small town of Rafah, as half a million Palestinians are faced with starvation, 70% of the women and children. A member of Israeli's war cabinet, Benny Gantz, has vowed to invade Rafah if the remaining Israeli hostages are not freed by the upcoming Muslim holy month of Ramadan, starting on March 10th. The Israeli military has destroyed the last hospital in the area and continues to bombard southern Gaza, the very place they earlier declared a safe zone. Meanwhile, Egypt is building a massive miles-wide concrete wall along its border with southern Gaza. New satellite images show. A year-long knock LA analysis of LASD records reveals that since 1984, at least 916 people have been fired upon by LA sheriff deputies. Of those, 387, or 42%, were killed by the gunfire, and 311 were wounded. 
Compton, a city of mostly low-income Latino and Black people, is an epicenter of these sheriff shootings. Since 1984, deputies have fired their weapons at 88 Compton residents. On average, one person in Compton is killed by deputies every year, according to Knock LA's analysis. These shootings have left a deep and lasting mental and physical toll on not just the people who were shot, but their families and their neighborhoods. Nearly all the people who were shot at were men, and about half were Latino, while a quarter were Black. Latinos make up half of LA County's total population, while Black people are 9%, according to the U.S. Census. At least 60% of the people who were fired upon were between the ages of 18 and 30. Experts say gun violence can play a role in many health problems in a community, including heart failure, hypertension, headaches, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Quote, there is a term called secondary trauma where people whose lives aren't directly affected by a particular event nevertheless experience fear, insecurity, and traumatic symptoms simply because of the degree of exposure to that event itself, said Dr. Lawrence A. Palinkas, a professor of social policy and health at the University of Southern California. Utilizing a 2018 disclosure law, Knock LA reporter Cerise Castle obtained nearly 1,000 LA SD records of shootings dating back to 1984. When she finally received the records, they had been heavily redacted despite the disclosure laws. The Knock LA investigation found that at least 307 unarmed people were fired upon, which means one in every three shot by sheriffs were unarmed, according to LA Sheriff Deputy's own records. In at least 67 cases, deputies reported people holding objects like hair, scissors, cake, spatulas, and pieces of wood or metal as, quote, armed with weapons. At least 103 unarmed people were killed by LASD gunfire. At least two deputies have fired their weapons at more than five people. Angel Jaimes, a self-admitted member of the regulator's deputy gang, fired his gun at seven people. Two were killed, one person was wounded. Eliza Vera, an alleged member of the Grim Reapers deputy gang and former candidate for sheriff of Los Angeles County, shot at eight people. He killed 16-year-old Julio Castillo and wounded two others in later shootings. Knock LA con conducted a survey of Compton residents between April and May of 2023 related to the impact of LASD deputy shootings. In their responses, Compton residents reported negative effects on their physical and mental health. And as a result of deputy shootings, 74% said they felt less safe with deputies in their neighborhood. 63% said they had personally experienced physical violence during interactions with deputies or knew someone who had. 37% knew someone that had been shot or killed by deputies. Quote, the sheriff's department is inhumane, said former Compton resident Skip Townsend, founder of Second Call, a nonprofit that aims to reduce violence and promote community safety. I feel threatened. I feel intimidated. I feel like my life is in danger. I don't trust my kids walking home from school, not because of Crips and Bloods, but because of the sheriff. Rebel Alliance News. Wanna watch the CIA? Married to the money, keep my maiden name. In an effort to curtail unlawful LAPD overreach and entrapment, several activists across the city created a database of LA Police Department officers, an action that qualifies as free speech. Rather than heed the call in by the public to the database called, quote, Stop LAPD Spying, LA City Attorney Heidi Feldstein Soto has chosen to further the city's attacks on the freedom of the press by suing Knock LA photo editor Ben Camacho. Knock LA states that the city of Los Angeles has chosen to suppress the right of the public to hold police officers accountable instead of examining the culture of misconduct that has been proven to exist within the LAPD. In what has become a long-standing battle, Feldstein Soto and her LA City legal team have repeatedly violated the constitutional and First Amendment rights of journalists and the public to report critically on public servants. 
As we continue to lose the local news landscape of Los Angeles to corporate greed and mismanagement, this attack on the free and independent press by the city is especially poignant. KBFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. On Saturday, February 17th, the Japanese American National Museum commemorated the 1942 executive order that authorized the U.S. military to forcibly remove persons of Japanese ancestry from their homes. Many Japanese during this time were publicly humiliated and lost all their property as it was looted in their absence. Museum officials said this year's theme and reinforces the importance of standing up for justice in times of great moral crisis. From the draft resistors and the no-no boys to those who protested through quiet hunger strikes or chanting crowds. Quote, resistance has taken many forms since World War II, and this weekend we heard truth and testimony from those who remember and honor these stories. The museum's ongoing core exhibition, Common Ground, tells stories of incarceration and includes original barracks from the Heart Mountain concentration camp. Also, the interactive Areco Sacred Book of Names display contains the first comprehensive listing of over 125,000 persons of Japanese ancestry who were incarcerated in U.S. Army, Department of Justice, Civil Control Administration, and War Relocation Authority camps. The experience is part of an effort to create a national memorial to the victims of World War II incarceration. The Japanese American National Museum is located at 100 North Central Avenue in Little Tokyo, Los Angeles. KBFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. And it is again time for our fun drive, the time where you give back. This probably isn't your first time listening to Rebel Alliance News. We're so glad you're here. We're working every day for free, gathering the news so you can be informed, not by the infotainment that other stations are bringing you, but by real, uncensored, hard-hitting news. We can do this because we don't take money from large corporations like NPR does. We are truly independent. You are our sponsors. Your donation helps us to keep going, and it's more needed than ever. We offer you the fruits of our labor in an amazing best-of compilation on a USB stick. KPFK and Pacifica has collected the voices of dissent, of conscience, the voices for human rights against racism for over six decades. This is an archive you can get nowhere else. It could be yours for only $250. Please get it for yourself, for your children, your school, your community. Share this knowledge, the speeches of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, Leonard Potier, and many others that mainstream media wants to condemn to the memory of all of history. Please go to your phones and call 818-985-5735 and say you want to donate to Rebel Alliance News. If you want to keep us on the air, please donate now, 818-985-5735 or go online at www.kpfk.org so that you will still know tomorrow what's going on in this city, this country, and the world. Do it for your kids. Save and protect independent media. We are the last holdout. Call 818-985-5735 and donate now. And if you're one of the lucky people who can afford a little more, donate more because many of us are hurting and cannot donate, even if they wanted to. So put KPFK in your will and create a beautiful legacy. Let's stand together and keep this amazing radio station going. Thank you all so much. Sharab is a survivor of the Nazi Holocaust. She founded Alliance for Human Research Protection and is a human rights activist focusing on the importance of informed consent for medical interventions. She is a speaker, author, and the producer of the recent documentaries, Never Again is Now Global, and Propaganda and Its Insidious Tactics of Persuasion, Then and Now. Eli B. spoke to her. 
the agenda goes way beyond COVID. There is an evil agenda behind the world situation. And whereas in World War II, the Nazi focus was very much on the Jews of Europe and North Africa, today the focus is on the entire human population. We first had an inkling of it with COVID, which was run centrally. There was somehow a central command issuing orders as to how to deal with this supposedly novel virus. That kind of weaponizing of public health went along to copy the Nazi playbook because the Nazis weaponized medicine. That was unique among other genocides because, of course, the Holocaust was not the only genocide, but it was conducted. Even the planning of many of the extermination procedures were done by doctors. The mindset of the Nazi doctors is alive and well particularly in Western countries today. Just to give you an idea, something that came across to me today. Data from New Zealand was leaked, and scientists have looked it over, and this is what they're finding. Before the COVID injections, the annual mortality increased mainly in people after the age of 80. Well, that's normal. After the COVID injections, Mortality increased by three times, four times, and eight times for people aged 40, 50, and 60 years old. The multi-increased mortality occurred after the COVID injections. And most people know of others who have indeed suffered irreparable health problems or deaths. And this includes children. Children who were never at risk at all from whatever COVID is, somehow or other, children were exempt. And yet they were delivered in many cases by parents to be injected with a very experimental, never before used technology in humans without even the doctors knowing what's in those injections. It's kept under military secret. Why? Why are these injections under military secret? They've never been licensed. They've never undergone the proper safety test, nor even efficacy. They are legally countermeasures. That's a military term. These are military countermeasures. Countermeasures have nothing to do with protecting anyone's health. The military is about weaponry not about public health. And I think people need to start really, really thinking, why? Why is this military secret? Particularly since these injections are being disseminated all over the world. The documents are all on their own websites, of course. Those websites and the documents are rather <laughs> voluminous, as you know, most government documents are. You have to go to websites other than the mainstream media, because the mainstream media is under direct financial control. And in this case, it's both governments and the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, that's who pays the mainstream media to tell you what they want you to know and to withhold from you what they don't want you to know. Again, this is called censorship. The doctors and scientists who were trying desperately from the very beginning to alert people as to what is going on, were deplatformed, defamed, they lost their jobs. But guess what? There are thousands of independent doctors and scientists who are continuing to tell the truth. And those are the ones you should seek out. Because the evidence from COVID, the official evidence, is secret. If you don't even know what's in those injections, and they went into your body, into your bloodstream, and as scientists have shown, they are changing people's DNA. That is horrific, horrific chance that people are taking with their lives. I think one of the important things that people need to get acquainted with is the fact that the uh, World Health Organization is trying to essentially eliminate all independence and to be able to give out an order 
that everyone in the world should abide by. And those orders would be given simply if the president of the World Health Organization, Tedros, decides there is a pandemic and there is no criteria that he must actually follow. He can just like that say, oh, there's a pandemic and here's what you have to do. These are the injections and no more travel, green passports, whatever, whatever he feels like. And there are several organizations where you can sign up to say no. We do not want to be part of this kind of dictatorship. This is a global dictatorship that they're after. The same World Health Organization that totally failed to protect anyone during COVID, everything that they told us to do was against our health, both our physical health and our mental health. The lockups, the isolation, the masking, all of that had nothing to do with public health or protecting anyone. The funny thing is that there was a study in 1918 comparing hospital staff, half of whom were wearing masks and the other not. And guess what? There was no difference in whether they got sick or not. So, and that is consistent. There is no study that shows that masks helped in any way. If anything, they restrict your oxygen. You're constantly re swallowing carbon dioxide, that's not good for your health. And isolation that told children, you can't see grandma because you might kill her. How cruel can you get? How cruel? But, you know, during lockup, there was a tremendous transfer of wealth by shutting down all the small and medium businesses, all your local shops, and forcing you kind of to move over to Amazon and the other big stores that where you buy everything through the internet, no interaction with people. I go into my local drugstore and everything is now behind lock and key. What happened? We're all criminals? Is that really the kind of world you want to live under? Under constant surveillance with cameras all over the place? This is not for our protection. It's not about terrorists and it's not about viruses. This is about a takedown of democracy and everything in life that's worth living. Masks were required of slaves, and at Guantanamo Bay, the prisoners were forced to wear masks. So I guess the hint is, a mask tells people, I am not a free agent, I am a slave, I obey my master. What it also did was teach little children not to trust people. Removing that very important human element, denying children that very important aspect of themselves, infants, they like some people and cry with others. This psychological weapon was very carefully thought out, had been tested at different venues, and then unleashed on the entire public. Unfortunately, a lot of the public, the people in democracies, have not carried out their responsibility as responsible citizens, which means we need to provide oversight over those whom we elect to serve us, but they don't serve us. They serve those who fund them. That's not how democracy is supposed to work. This is a major global issue. And the question is, do we want to be slaves by obediently following orders, even the most ridiculous orders, or do we want to assert our rights, our God-given rights as human beings. The revolution will not be televised. Don't push me, cause the I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a trouble sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Political censorship in the West today is exactly the same as it was in China under communist leader Mao Zedong says the world-renowned, now-exiled artist IYY. British journalist Trevor Phillips spoke to him. Ai Weiwei, you've been vocal in your support for the Palestinian cause, and your recent tweet about the war in Gaza led to the cancellation of your exhibition in a London gallery. What happened from your point of view? <laughs> I think what happened is very in the much larger picture is a very general condition. You know, society becomes so 
timid to really avoid any kind of questioning or argument. So basically, I was talking almost like uh, on Twitter, just answering someone's question. Normally, before never anything like this, you can talk whatever you like. You can joke, you can make fun, you can、uh, your opinions. But today, so many people. By giving their basic opinions, they get fired. They get,、uh, you know, censored. This has become very common. You now live in the West. Are you worried that the West itself is starting to clamp down on the freedom of expression of artists, writers, intellectuals? Yes, and I grew up in this、uh, heavy political censorship, but、uh, I. Realize now today in the West, you are doing exactly the same. Sometimes even more ridiculous. You know, two、uh, NYU professors they just give some opinions, kind of like private talk. Then they have to be fired. This is a, really like a culture revolution,、uh, which is really trying to destroy anybody who have different. Attitude, even not even clearly opinion. So I think this is a, such a pity happened in the West、uh, so broadly in universities, in media, in every、uh, location, universities or political sector everywhere. You cannot talk about the truth. That is a very striking comparison to make because you were one year old, I think, when your father, a poet. Was exiled, part of the Cultural Revolution, by Mao's supporters, and went to a labor camp. Are you comparing that to what is happening in the West now? I would say, without no exaggeration, in certain point, I'm come from exile, and、uh, from exile to exile. You know, in the West, I still cannot speak out because certain matters you just cannot touch. You. Write in your new memoir, Zodiac, that art is a special form of freedom of speech. If freedom of speech doesn't exist, we cannot call it art. And any artist who is not an artist is a dead artist. Do you think that artists in the West are speaking up enough for freedom of expression? I think it's far from enough. Artists in this society mostly corrupted by the capitalism. You know, they're just seeking for. Money and to also to be famous, and、uh, they basically nobody really care about、uh, society or truth or even in their art. At least they don't express their feelings. So I think that is not a very good sign. That is quite a big thing. I mean, I suppose if I were to put it this way, are you saying that artists who are selling their work for you know a million dollars? Five million dollars, ten million dollars are now tempted by the money to steal their voices or reduce, say certain things that they ought to say. I would say artists make their name or make the huge profit by not connect to reality by become some kind of decoration of very strange aesthetics. This is a shameful. I think、uh, artists should represent、uh, human emotions and should、uh, defend humanity. You've really suffered. You've been imprisoned. You have been beaten. You were、uh, in hospital with brain injuries because of what happened to you because of your speaking out. Do you have any regrets that you've taken the lead in, in that way? I never、uh, regret because I'm defending a value which would profit or benefit everybody. So, you know, my little experience is not really matter, but、uh, rather I someone have to speak out, and the artist has res- responsibility to do that. You don't hold back from your criticism of leaders, starting with Mr. Xi. In in part of your memoir, you you describe your interrogation by the Chinese secret police or Communist Party officials, and your interrogator is drawn. Bearing the face of President Xi, I assume he didn't interrogate you himself. But what what were you trying to say there? Well, it's just、uh, symbolic, you know. I, I represent power and I represent、uh, his questioning: Am I a real artist or I'm I'm too arrogant? Do you think you could ever return to China and be a free citizen and 
practice your art as you would like to? I don't think so. I cannot exercise my rights or my art, but I still can live well in there. Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Within only, within only one year, the U.S. went from one war to effectively six wars. All of them undeclared. Professor Jeffrey Sachs and award-winning journalist Glenn Greenwald analyzed the dangerous escalation initiated by the Biden administration. There seems to be a lot of chaos in Kiev, where President Zelensky just fired his top commander. There's certainly chaos in Washington, where they can't figure out how to get the next $60 billion to Ukraine. Well, on the battlefield, uh, Russia is taking apart Ukraine, and the uh, death toll uh, for the Ukrainians is uh, terrifying. But Washington remains uh, steadfast, no negotiations, no discussion of real solutions, a war-only approach. It's pathetic, absolutely pathetic. And the idea of uh, putting another $61 billion into more deaths for Ukraine, more destruction for Ukraine, without a word about politics and a solution to this is Biden's complete failure. So I, I find the situation shocking. I find it shocking that uh, a large part of the Senate and almost all of the Democratic Party mindlessly goes along with this. You've been a critic from the start of the U.S. role in Ukraine. Um, I have as well. There's no consolation to have been vindicated given how disastrous the war has been. But certainly everything you're describing now is visible to everybody in Washington that Ukraine cannot win. There's no way to expel all Russian troops from Ukrainian soil, let alone from Crimea. What at this point is the objective? And looking back, what has been the objective all along? Well, I think the objective all along for the last 30 years was to put uh, the U.S. and NATO into Ukraine. Uh, and uh, at each point, uh, Biden, uh, Sullivan, Blinken, Newland, this has been going on for more than a decade. And before that, it was Newland as part of the uh, Bush administration. Just been one stupid, cruelly ignorant miscalculation after another. They got to the point where Every gambit failed. The only thing that they accomplished was spending more than $100 billion of U.S. money and about 500,000 casualties uh, in Ukraine, a, a catastrophe. And now they have an election coming. So to my mind, uh, at least one part of this story is just get to November without an embarrassment, no matter how many more deaths they cause. Another $61 billion doesn't matter. It's not their money. They're just trying to uh, avoid embarrassment for what has been an absolutely disgraceful foreign policy for a decade. We're in the 10th anniversary of Biden, Newland, Blinken, Sullivan participating in the overthrow of the Yanukovych government. And this is what it's brought. Complete disaster for Ukraine and nothing good for the United States. Do you think it actually reflects some change in the politics in terms of what Americans think about sending huge amounts of money to finance other countries' wars when our country is in many ways falling apart? Well, I think it is exactly the fact the Americans are completely against this. In a post today that the $61 billion exceeds our uh, nutrition programs for women and children, uh, Environmental Protection Agency, the National Science Foundation, the Department of Labor added all together. But, you know, it's games for these senators. I think what's interesting is, in fact, it's routine for the senators to vote mindlessly money for the military industrial complex, something that it is is a disaster in Ukraine and that is complicity in genocide in the case of the war in Gaza. And so it's completely unjustified, this money. And yet they're still trying, trying, because their normal mode is to vote money for the military. And interestingly, there's no substantive discussion. You don't hear Chuck Schumer, who pushes this every day, give a speech explaining anything or... Moving to the second war, which is the one we're financing 
and arming Israel to carry out in the destruction of Gaza. Where do we stand in this war and what now do you think Israel's actual objectives are? They're saying this war is going to last for several more months. They just rejected Hamas's counteroffer for a ceasefire. Netanyahu seems intent on continuing this. What do you see as the driving motives here? The key event was the ruling of the International Court of Justice, which said that there are plausible grounds that Israel is committing genocide. And that means, by the way, that America is complicit in a genocide, if that's what the ultimate finding is. And I think that there are good reasons for the court to have made that ruling. Two million people displaced, around 30,000 dead, 70 percent of whom are women and children. We watched the demolition of universities, of schools, of mosques, of hospitals, of apartment buildings before our eyes with the gleeful members of the Israeli Defense Forces. And the second part of a genocide finding is intent. And there, the intent is, is that the Israeli cabinet doesn't disguise what they want. They want the Palestinians gone. They want ethnic cleansing. If it means death because the Palestinians won't leave, so be it. And they don't hide this. What is amazing, actually, is that since this ICJ ruling, Israel hasn't changed an iota. It continues the killing. It continues the slaughter. It continues the murder in cold blood. And now it says it's going to assault the south of Gaza, where it told the Palestinians to leave for safety. And the statements by the cabinet have remained absolutely as vile and genocidal as before. So they don't even take note. Well, maybe we should be a little bit careful. Not anything. Big event in Tel Aviv, you know, where the settlers are saying we're going to resettle Gaza. They have to leave. This is greater Israel. Today, it's incredible to watch Secretary Blinken. He wrings his hands. He says, oh, yes, it would be better with the a, a, a two-state solution. That's what uh, the Saudis are, are telling us and, and what we know. But this is up to the Israelis. It's saying Israel runs American policy. Even though we finance them. Yes, I know. We provide the munitions. We provide the financing. We're asking for emergency aid. And Blinken's saying there's nothing we can do. It's all up to the Israelis. There was one group doing actual work in delivering basic humanitarian assistance, nowhere near sufficient, but still some to the Gazan population that has been on the brink of starvation and now suffers the genuine prospect of mass famine, which was the UN uh, Rescue Aid Agency, and Israel just decided to accuse it of having 12 members who participated in October 7th and being linked to Hamas, and now the United States and multiple other European countries that have been funding the destruction of Gaza are now saying we're going to cut funding to the only aid agency that's actually doing something on a substantive level to keep the people in Gaza from just dying in mass numbers from treatable infections and starvation. What do you make of those accusations? Complicity in genocide. Even if the accusations were true on their face, and we have not the slightest idea whether they are, and people that have seen the dossier supposedly say that it's absolutely absurd, the reaction to cut off an aid agency at this moment with hundreds of thousands on the brink of starvation is absolutely complicit in a genocide. The whole world's eyes are on this. There will be a report uh, by uh, South Africa shortly again to the court. The American leaders are absolutely complicit in this. And the senators like Schumer, who just give them the money, doesn't matter, are complicit in this too. Doesn't anybody speak a word of honesty anymore? Kirby, the spokesman every day, the one that said that the accusations were completely meritless, when South Africa first made the application and then dismissed the court's ruling, uh, brushed it aside in one moment, does not say a word of truth on any day. And this is how we are right now. Of course, the world's extremely dangerous when it is so miserably governed and when the United States is absolutely without decency and limits. We are now repeatedly bombing Yemen with no congressional debate or authorization. 
continuously bombing targets both in Iraq and Syria that we say are linked to Iran. We've had three of our own troops killed in a military base in Jordan that very few people knew existed. What do you see as the risk of regional escalation now? The United States, we have some choices, but this administration apparently just uh, says, no, they're not our choices, they're Israel's choices. Well, the choices that Israel makes are absolutely leading to wider and wider war, and these uh, religious national extremists in Israel want the United States to go to war with Iran. So if that's what Israel wants, is that what we're going to do? Rebel Alliance News. I wanna watch this CIA Married to the money, keep my maiden name hey. You might not know it from the corporate meeting here in the U.S., but Russia appears to be on a mission to let the American people hear its side of the story regarding the current state of affairs. And now, one news outlet in Moscow has offered to do a live interview with President Biden on Russian TV. Don DeBar has more. With the recorded audience for Tucker Carlson's interview of President Vladimir Putin of Russia in the hundreds of millions... A Russian journalist has offered to reciprocate. Journalist Dmitry Kiselov wants to sit down with U.S. President Joe Biden for a live interview to discuss relations between the two countries. There's no word yet from the White House, but on Monday, Russia's permanent representative to the United Nations, Ambassador Vasily Nebenzia, held a press conference outside the U.N. Security Council's chambers to discuss a number of the international issues facing the Council and involving his country and ours. Facing failures, massive failures in the battlefield, uh, namely the uh, recent loss of a strategic town of Avdeevka, the Kyiv regime is trying to make up by uh, intensifying its terrorist attacks against civilians. Less than two weeks ago, we convened the meeting of the UN Security Council to discuss an attack on a bakery in the city of Lysychansk. Before that was Belgorod, before that was Donetsk. On Lysychansk, 28 in Lysychansk, 28 innocent people, including a child, were killed during the shelling. Several dozen is injured. This was an act of terrorism committed by the Ukrainian armed forces as they deliberately attacked civilian infrastructure, one of many in the last couple of months. Since then, the Ukrainian forces have demonstrated their heinous neo-Nazi nature yet again. During the day on February 15th, they launched another massive attack on peaceful areas of Belgorod. Seven people died, including a newborn, 19 local residents, four of whom were children, were injured. Apartment buildings, industrial enterprises, cars and a store were damaged. According to the Russian Ministry of Defense, on the same day, air defense systems destroyed 14 Ukrainian vampire missile system shells over the territory of the Belgorod region. This strike makes no sense from the military point of view. The military infrastructure was not located in the immediate vicinity of the shelling. Instead, rockets were launched on innocent people in a premeditated act of terror. We call on the UN Secretariat and the agencies to condemn these heinous crimes against civilians and civilian infrastructure carried out by the Kyiv regime in violation of the international humanitarian law. Our national investigation is underway. The perpetrators of these crimes will be identified and prosecuted. Yet another terrorist attack by the Ukrainian armed forces against the city of Belgorod has once again highlighted the criminal role of the West led by the United States, which continues to send the deadly weapons to the Kyiv regime and thus is an accomplice in all its crimes. These weapons are used in a mass and indiscriminate killing of civilians. Western states are perfectly aware of that, but when it comes to Russian cities, be it Belgorod or Donetsk or Lugansk, they never recall such things as protection of civilians or norms of international humanitarian law. In a bid to profit as much as possible of the conflict, they are completely unbothered by the fact that their weapons mercilessly and deliberately hit civilian targets. The proxy war till the last Ukrainian is a lucrative business project for them. Tremendous money is spent on weapons for Ukraine. Billions of US dollars are migrating from the pockets of taxpayers to the accounts of Western military industries. The majority of EU members obediently follow Washington's orders to supply more and more arms to Kyiv, 
depleting their arsenals and replenishing them with products purchased from the U.S. defense, defense industry. I can offer you a very simple example of such neo-colonial mentality of the Western establishment. Your colleague from the U.K., Zeni Minton Bedos, editor-in-chief of The Economist, has been very open about how the West uses the people in Ukraine in her TV interview recently for The Daily Show. She said, I quote, giving money to Ukraine is the cheapest way for the U.S. to enhance its security. The fighting is being done by Ukrainians, their people are being killed, the U.S. and Europe are supplying them weapons. And in doing that, we are pushing back against Putin. Hypocrisy and cynicism of Western states become even more evident since they directly violate all the international agreements and commitments regarding the transfer of weapons and military equipment they are reported. The sole purpose of the collective West is to drag this conflict, hoping to impose their will on the so-called and the so-called rules-based international order and to inflict a strategic defeat on Russia. It is precisely for this reason that the US, the UK and, and their accomplices made the criminal Kiev regime sabotage the implementation of the Minsk agreements and destroyed the chance for peace in April 2022 when, by prohibiting Zelensky from signing a peace agreement with Russia. And in this vein, they turn a blind eye to all the heinous crimes and terrorist acts of Zelensky and his clique. Thank you very much. Ambassador, you raise civilian casualties that have been suffered by Russia, but Russia has caused civilian casualties in Ukraine. First, we do not deliberately target any civilian objects in Ukraine, only military targets. That's point one. Secondly, as has been said many times over, we have not started this war. This war started in 2014 by the Kyiv regime when it started this, their so-called anti-terrorist operation against their own citizens. We came to end it. We didn't start the war. Ambassador, can I ask you another question about Alexei Navalny? Can you explain to the people around the world why are the Russian authorities not handing over his body? Do you have something to hide? Well, I think that the reason is simple, because the forensic medical in investigation is not over yet. The exact cause of the death was not uh, yet disclosed, while our Western colleagues rushed to claim 15 minutes after it happened, after the news were published, that this was the responsibility of the Putin's regime, etc., etc. I would like to appeal to uh, these self-proclaimed fighters for freedom of speech. Where were you when the Kyiv regime imprisoned your own citizen, I mean the U.S. citizen, independent journalist Gonzalo Lira on five fetched charges, who then was tortured and didn't receive proper medical care until his death in the Ukrainian prison. He had the courage to tell the truth about the real state of affairs in Ukraine and therefore became an inconvenient person for them that had to be taken care of. We know the value of these empty slogans of Western countries about protecting human rights. We would recommend focusing on protecting their own citizens rather than making baseless accusations against Russia. Also, while underscoring that every day is a tragedy, I'd like to point out the following. As I said, Western political leaders lined up with accusations in as little as 15 minutes after the first reports of the passing away of, of Alexei Navalny were published. And all this in the absence of any detailed information, let alone a forensic medical ex examination. It is uh, as if the statements were prepared in advance. And uh, as you know, his wife happened uh, accidentally to be at Munich Security Conference at, at the same time. When it comes to investigating such uh, heinous crimes and sabotage like the, like the Nord Stream program, example, our Western colleagues uh, are taking their time. The Swedish authorities already closed the investigation. Uh, nobody else is hurrying with uh, making the truth known. So I think that, uh, I think that uh, they'd better look for themselves before they make baseless accusations, even before any evidence came, came to light. We have a quick comment on Gaza. There is a vote, we believe, tomorrow morning. It looks like there'll be a vote. Already, the US ambassador has issued a statement saying she's going to veto. Your reaction? The that's sad. That's sad. Uh, that uh, we cannot uh, come with the with the ceasefire for as long as uh, four months. Actually, five months now. Nearly five months. Uh, uh, and that uh, only one delegation is preventing that. I think that if we had come with the ceasefire the first time we proposed it, which was 16th of October, uh, so many lives could have been spared. Russia called the uh, foreign partners and the uh, foreign uh, organizations to take part in the investigation of the Illusion 76 uh, downing. Were there any response from the, any party? No. We are conducting our own investigation, but nobody approached us uh, on that. Mr. Ambassador, do you plan to request UN um, Security Council meeting uh, on web Western weapons deliveries to Ukraine in the near future? Perhaps uh, we'll have uh, 
two meetings on Ukraine uh, this week. Uh, one is in the General Assembly, the second is called by our former Western partners uh, in the Security Council on the 23rd of February. Yes, sometime, sometime into February or March, uh, of course, we'll call something on, in, that, in that vein. For KPFK, I'm Don DeBar. For KPFK's Rebel Alliance News, here are your international news from sources outside of the NATO-controlled mediasphere. Despite the fact that Israel authorized the entry of humanitarian aid to Palestine, Israeli military forces have taken advantage of this authorization to directly attack humanitarian workers delivering the aid and civilians waiting for it. Videos surfacing on social media show Israeli forces shooting at people who try to approach the aid delivery trucks. More details with Telesur correspondent Noor Harazin. Finally, Israel will allow a number of uh, flower humanitarian aid to be allowed into northern uh, Gaza. However, it is very dangerous now for Palestinians to go and wait for the humanitarian aid trucks at the Arashid Street or Salahdin Street, which are the northern Gaza gate to the whole uh, world. Why it is so dangerous? Because in many occasions, the Israeli warplanes and the Israeli tanks actually targeted the people who were uh, uh, waiting for the aid. For example, just yesterday, one Palestinian was killed and a number were injured in an Israeli uh, attack that targeted uh, people who were waiting for humanitarian aid. So it is not only about the very little aid that is being allowed to Gaza, it is also about how dangerous it is for the Palestinians to wait and to receive that aid and also how dangerous it is for the uh, UN workers and the humanitarian aid organization workers to move around and distribute the aid on the uh, Palestinians here in Gaza. Talking about the latest on the ground and uh, there were a number of Israeli airstrikes in northern Gaza, in middle Gaza, in southern Gaza, I mean overnight and this early hours the Israeli forces pounded uh, Gaza from its north to its south with a number of uh, airstrikes and shells. According to the Palestinian Health Ministry, 127 Palestinians were killed. And this brings up the Palestinian death toll here in Gaza since the 7th of October up to 28,987 uh, people. Palestinians here on the ground are living with very little hope that maybe in the near future, there would be a truce, a humanitarian truce, before the month of Ramadan that could bring peace to the ground here in Gaza. Thousands of supporters of Pakistan's former Prime Minister Imran Khan have taken to the streets nationwide to condemn what they perceive as fraud and manipulation in the recent general elections. This comes in light of admissions by certain election officials acknowledging their involvement in the alleged vote rigging. Nazir Kazmi reports from the Pakistani capital, Islamabad. Supporters of a jailed Pakistani former Premier Imran Khan and his party, Pakistan Tariq Insaf or PTI, held nationwide protests on Saturday to condemn alleged manipulation in the February 8th general election. The mandate that the people of Pakistan has given the independent, so-called independent candidates backed by none other than PTI because our election symbol was take, taken away. Our entire leadership is behind jails with sham, uh, you know, uh, so this doesn't make any sense. When the people have spoken, they have to be respected. Otherwise, they will be on the street. It will be chaos and no uh, government, no political party will be able to rule. Supporters of Imran Khan's party insist that widespread electoral manipulation has deprived their party of achieving two-thirds majority in the parliament. I voted for Imran Khan, but I'm speaking as a Pakistani, as a Pakistani voter. I voted, I was there at quarter to eight in the morning. I wanted to be first in line so that I could vote. By evening, our candidate was winning, everything was fine. Three in the morning, suddenly the man lost. And he lost by 20,000 votes or God knows something like that. How is this possible? This is not possible and this is not acceptable. However, Imran Khan's rival political group, Pakistan Muslim League Nawaz, says the PTI party tried to derail democracy by creating controversy around elections. A dramatic change in the political climate occurred when the commissioner of Rawalpindi, 
a city in northern Pakistan, tendered his resignation, citing a guilty conscience for his role in enabling widespread electoral manipulation in the garrison city. We converted the losers into winners with 70,000 votes margin. The chief election commissioner and chief justice are involved in poll fraud. I accept all the responsibility. I should be hanged. I cannot participate in the crime that could destroy Pakistan. This is while Pakistan's election commission has rejected claims made by the Rawalpindi commissioner, stating that no official of the electoral body gave any direction to him regarding the manipulation of results. The outcry over alleged vote rigging in the recently held elections for national and state legislatures has sparked widespread protests among multiple political factions. Analysts warn that the absence of a clear mandate for any political party could lead to prolonged political instability and hinder efforts to address economic challenges of the country. Tens of thousands of Indian farmers are camping on the borders of New Delhi, demanding legal guarantees for a minimum support price for their crops. Farmers are ramping up pressure on the government of Prime Minister Narendra Modi by blocking highways and roads leading to the capital city in a bid to highlight their long-standing grievances. Munawar Zaman reports from the outskirts of New Delhi. Tens of thousands of farmers are standing the ground on the outskirts of New Delhi ahead of planned crucial talks. The farmers' march comes two years after similar protests that lasted for a year against new agricultural reforms that were later scrapped by the government of Premier Modi. As general elections are due in the coming months, the farmers are mounting pressure on the government demanding legislation that would guarantee minimum support price for their produce. We are protesting to guarantee prices for our crops. The previous government had schemes in support of farmers, but the present government is making laws which are against farmers and not acceptable to us. They want to sell India's agriculture sector to corporations, but we will protest till our demands are met. The protesting farmers are mostly from the neighboring state of Punjab and Haryana. They say rising cultivation costs and debts have led them to increase their production of crops. Therefore, a guaranteed minimum support price for their produce would stabilize their income. They're also demanding the government fulfill its election pledge to double farmers' income and waive their loans and withdraw any legal case filed against them during earlier protest. This government wants to destroy us. All their promises before elections turned futile. We want debt waivers, pensions for farmers and laborers, and the withdrawal of all legal cases filed against protesting farmers during the 2021 march. We are peacefully marching towards the capital, but the government is using tear gas to stop us as if we are outsiders, but we will fight till our demands are fulfilled. Since the march started, several meetings between leaders of farmers and government ministers have ended inconclusively. The ministers of Modi's government, however, expect a peaceful solution. The two sides are expected to meet soon as Prime Minister Modi has already said his government is working on more inclusive schemes to benefit farmers. His party also claims to have already doubled the minimum support price from 1,000 to 2,000 Indian rupees, a claim that farmers deny. The protests come at a time when the country is gearing up for general elections in few months' time. The farmers are seen as an important section of the voting population. Experts say Modi is expected to secure a third term despite the protest. They say it is, however, crucial to strike a deal with the protesting farmers to secure a long-term solution since successive governments have failed to appease them. Most of the vital roads leading to the capital New Delhi have been fortified like this one and massive barricades have been erected across all sides of the border to make sure the protesters are confined to outside the city. Tens of thousands of farmers are camping just a few miles away from the capital. They say they will keep marching to the capital unless there is a breakthrough in negotiations. Munawazaman Press TV, New Delhi. And that's all in today's international news from non-NATO media. For KPFK's Rebel Alliance News, I'm Paulina Vasilyev. And you've been listening again to KPFK Rebel Alliance News. Please support our nightly news show by telling your friends and family by donating to us. Please call 818-985-5735 and mention that you donate specifically to Rebel Alliance News. 
Our team is working very hard every day for free, but we need to keep the lights on and pay for the station signal. So you can go online to kpfk.org and become a member of our sustainer circle by donating $25, $50, or $100 a month, or gladly more, and join our KPFK family. Rebel Alliance News thanks our engineer Wendell Handy and all tireless contributors, including Paulina Vasilia, LB, Don DeBar, and our producer Ziri Rideau. You can also find our content on www.rebelalliancenews.org and on the KPFK Rebel Alliance News Podcast on Apple and Spotify. Coming up next is IMRU. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow at 6 p.m. I hope you will join us again. I'm Hunter Green. Hello, my name is Kirby Washington. I've been listening to KPFK since sometime in the 80s. I can't remember when. I know I was driving down Pico Boulevard all the way to the ocean one night for some meeting, and I was flipping around the dial, and I heard this amazing, amazing program. The content and the context were so deep and about real human issues.